You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. This is the Christian Humanist Podcast, a weekly discussion of theology, philosophy, literature, art, and other things that human beings do well. And now your hosts, David Grubbs, Nathan Gilmore, and Michael Farmer. So the same Hey, humanists, this is Nathan Gilmore. I want to tell you about an event that I'll be attending in Southern California, uh, January 19th through 21st. It is the Homebrew Christianity Theology Beer Camp. It's going to be a small event, limited number of tickets. Uh, so when you come, you'll be able to talk to podcasters like me, Jason Michelli from the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast, Trip Fuller from Homebrew Christianity, of course, a number of other shows. It ought to be a lot of fun. There will be some keynote sort of speakers. Trip Fuller has promised that he's going to try to get them off of their usual talking points and onto some new material. At any rate, uh, theologybeercamp.com is the link for that. We'll post that on the christianhumanist.org website and promote it on the Facebook page. And I'd be glad to see some of you if you're going to be in uh, Southern California that last weekend of the Obama years. Uh, just before we roll over into the Trump administration. Again, January 19th through 21st, theologybeercamp.com. I hope to see some of you there. This is Nathan Gilmore. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to episode 205 of the Christian Humanist Podcast. I'm your host for today. My name is Michael Farmer. I'm an assistant professor of English at Crown College in St. Bonifacius, Minnesota. Joining me today, as always, is Nathan Gilmore, who's an associate professor of English at Emanuel College in Franklin Springs, Georgia. I almost said Houston Emanuel, which should tell you what time <laughs> of the semester it is. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Although for me, that time has passed because of the wacky calendar. When our listeners hear this, I will be giving my December term final exam. Wow. wow. <laughs> yes, indeed. So you've completed two semesters. In the time that it's taken for Grubbs and I to finish one. Yes, I, I am a busy little bee. <laughs> also joining us is David Grubbs, who is an assistant professor of English at Houston Baptist University in Houston, Texas. David? Hi, Michael. I, I don't have a question. I'm sorry. Long-time, <laughs> listeners, long-time <laughs> listeners will remember that at the very end of the semester, we're all so dead that we try to pick a topic that doesn't require a whole lot of research for us. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the ones we've done. I know we did a Desert Island book episode that didn't take any time, and I'm mm-hmm. so brain dead right now, I can't even think beyond that. But today's topic <laughs> uh, is about grading, um, and that's good, because I suspect we're all grading right now, so it's on our minds anyway. I'm yes, literally the... grading right now. Instead like, of like listening Like, actually to me. right now. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, every teacher was once a student, so I want to begin by talking about the grading practices that shaped our grading practices. What approaches to grading did you guys pick up from your professors, and what have you stayed away from out of sheer disgust? Well, honestly, in my own experience, uh, 
I, I can't think of too many people whose grading practices I really enjoyed. The ones you remember, I think, uh, are the ones that are the bad ones. Uh, you know, it's a, I guess it's kind of like a, a table service that way. The the really good waiter you don't actually notice. So one of them that I remember definitely was a uh, freshman writing instructor I had my freshman year at Milligan, uh, who insisted that you know her comments were less threatening because she bled all over my paper in green pen rather than red. A lot and, of people uh, feel that way. Yeah, and I mean, she she was such a a nice teacher that none of us had the heart to tell her that it's not any less threatening to get margins filled with green comments than it is red. But you know, she did that. I had another professor as an undergrad um, who everything that I handed to the man came back with an A minus on it. Uh, I, I had him for three semesters of classes. Everything I wrote was an A minus. Uh, and in fact, one time I, uh, turned in a, oh gosh, I think it was the midterm exam for his course. And it came back to me 95 A minus. <laughs> and, uh, well, now you know why uh, you got an A minus on everything. And I, and I went back to him and, you know, I said, Dr. Dibble, you know, he died a few years ago, so I don't have to worry about, you know, his being insulted at this point. I said, you know, Dr. Dibble, I mean, 95, that's not an A minus, that's an A. And he said, well, Gilmore. I couldn't find more than five points to dock you, but it's still not any work. <laughs> so, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's... Um, I think we all learned from community, though, that uh, minus grades only exist to punish students who are getting on your last nerve. I, I've never watched community, so I'll, I'll let that joke stand. Well, the story either. checks out in your case, anyway. Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> Um, but in grad school, I mean, I also had professors who, uh, were basically a black hole. I mean, you know, uh, you would turn in your paper at the end of the semester and then, you know, your grade would show up on your, you know, online grade report, but then you'd go back to their office and you'd say, you know, do you have my, uh, essay from last semester? And they'd say, uh, let me, let me get back to you on that. And then they would never get back to you on that and you would never see it again. <laughs> and, uh, so, I mean, you know, it's a, like I said, I mean, in my experience, I can't think of too many people whose grades, you know, were just really, really good. I will commend, uh, one who I wouldn't necessarily call this a grading practice so much as a paper review practice. Um, and that's actually, uh, Christian Boudreau, who, you know, as Michael, I'm sure will, will remind our listeners I've had difficulties with over the year. But I will say that when I was in her graduate classes, she would write up, you know, page and a half single space comments on how to turn this seminar paper into a journal article, which journals to send it to, what to look out for when you're writing for that audience, so on and so forth. So Chris Boudreaux is an angel from heaven. Like I, I, I just, <laughs> I can't imagine having a problem with her. Oh man, that's because you didn't live my grad school, Michael. That's because you didn't live my grad school. But David, how about you? What are some of the grading memories you got? Uh, we seem we seem to be leading with the nightmares, so um, <laughs> that's what the, I'll go that's ahead. what the people come for anyway. Yeah, <laughs> um, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna name names because uh, these professors are uh, are are still living. Um, in uh, in one case, it was a uh, it was a professor. It, it had less to do with um, 
the way he graded in general than it did with the way that he graded his 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 quizzes and exams. Um, he always had a very, very, very precise answer in mind. <laughs> and he always had these kind of extended, um, you know, it wasn't just like matching or fill in the blank or true false. It was, you, you had to write in the answer and he had a kind of verbatim answer that he had in mind. And it oh. was very, and, and if it wasn't that, it was no points. Um, oh, and it, man, that it got, is sociopathic. It, it got to the point where it, it, it was a it was a read his mind exam. Um, and it, it, it got to the point where I stopped studying for tests and quizzes in that class and my grades improved. <laughs> <laughs> I started just going with whatever my first instinct was. And apparently that was more closely attuned with with what was expected. Um that's that's so that's my that's my that's my horror tale um in general though i i i know the nagging frustration of getting pretty good grades on papers but with very little comment so that i so that for um for a lot of a lot of my classes i was like yay i did well but i don't know what i did well and i'm still full of anxiety because i don't because <laughs> i don't know, know which of the many things it is that i do that is the magic uh-huh. <laughs> um Fortunately, uh, my mentor, though, in my undergraduate, um, Gary Green, um, uh, may his memory be always blessed, is his dissertation was on the salutary effects of of praising good work as commentary and grading. Um, his, his dissertation was actually about what difference does it make to student performance when your when your commentary and grading is not just on what they do wrong. Oh, but it's so much harder to say good things. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But he said good things, and it and I don't know how I don't know how it turned out in terms of his statistics, but um, with me it was incredibly helpful. Um, so that's, that, that's my good story. And, you know, uh, over, over the years, it's, it's usually been, it, it's been a mix of things. I, I've had some of those A minuses that you talk about, Nathan, the, <laughs> the one, um, and I have definitely given those A minuses too. As a punishment, uh, right? Not as a punishment. <laughs> um, there is, there is one particular student that, that, that I could name. And if she listened, she knew who she would know who she was. Um, but I, I, uh, more than once gave a minuses, um, because, because I knew that the student could have done more. Yeah. No. And yeah, we all, we all, we all grade the good students more difficultly. Right. I mean, that's just, well, I was, I was like, you know, the, the carrot is still hanging out there. Swing harder. (laughs) <laughs> there is still more candy in that pinata. Swing harder. I, I don't. Uh, I'm not, there, I'm not there's sure still I a mixed metaphor to squeeze here. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'm not, sure I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I understand how you're driving this mule. Uh, <laughs> well, it, it turns out that this mule is just morphed into a pinata. So <laughs> I think it's called a burrow when, it's, <laughs> when it becomes oh, a pinata. <laughs> that's 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 a fair point. 
but it's the end of the semester. <laughs> Is it ever? <laughs> sure. So I got, I've got two, I think, funny stories. Um, when I went to college, as I'm sure with you guys, it was before the days of LMSs, so you know we didn't get our grades online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Bible and waited theology, and waited. the Bible and theology department at TFC had what they called the Wailing Wall, which is where, <laughs> which is where all the scores for all the assignments in all the classes were posted and you would go find I think wow. we gave them a student ID number I don't think they posted it by last name but they might have uh. um, and uh, and you would you would have to go it was up a flight of stairs uh, to to look at the wailing wall to see what you got I'll and take I, things that are illegal now for 200 Alex I know I know <laughs> but man I wish I could do that <laughs> uh, but the other story, and I'll, I'll protect one of the names here and not the other one. Uh, so the guy that jokes on um, was a communications professor at TFC, and for whatever reason, for whatever reason, he decided that the total number of points for the semester. I think I think he did it as a hundred. So like the total number of points for the, everything the entire semester is a hundred, which means like an individual quiz would be worth point ten of a point. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and and you know it drove everybody crazy because we could never tell what our what our grades were because it we uh-huh. would get the thing back and it would say point three five out of six or something I don't know point six whatever so uh, another professor Jerry Flieger came in and was so annoyed at this practice that he made the number of possible points on his uh, in his class ten billion. <laughs> and then, then the, the quizzes would come back, and they'd be worth five hundred thousand points. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful! Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I didn't really like either one of those approaches. I have to say, but uh, <laughs> but it's funny. <laughs> well, there are colleges that don't assign letter grades. Oh, hold up, Michael. Hold up. Hold up. You got to tell that this is too human a story because that's that's kind of in the murky origins of our podcast. Yeah, I suppose that's true. That's true. So, should I say his name? Nah. It is a professor <laughs> at the University of Georgia. I wrote a I wrote a paper. It was a close reading analysis of uh, the wasteland, and it came back, and it was it was an A minus. Which you know, in grad school, an A minus really is passive aggressive. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and uh, and and it said this this is too humanist. <laughs> and, and that's actually, I believe, the reason why this podcast is called the Christian Humanist Podcast. Well, I mean, it was partly that and partly because I idolize Erasmus. Yeah. Nice. So that story is not as good as I think it should be. I, I need to get better at telling it. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go, go ahead, Michael. Carry on. As I was saying, there are colleges that don't assign letter grades. Uh, instead, they require each professor to provide several pages of commentary on each student. I know this because I applied to one. Um, Alverno College, I think it's called in Milwaukee. Hmm. It seems like it's probably about the same amount of work for the professor, but it's probably, I would think, less nerve-wracking for the student. What do you guys think? Should If your college is allowed it, would you get rid of letter grades? No. Yes. You say why first, David. Please please support your argument in four to five paragraphs. <laughs> see that that that's exactly my point. Um see sometimes I feel like my labors in in articulating my judgment and the reasons for it are justified. Um, sometimes not. 
I know that they won't be regarded. I know that that won't be considered. Um, and so it feels like face wasted effort, even as I'm doing it. Um, but the, the, the main, one of the main reasons why I would not abolish grades is, uh, for the for the for the same reason that I think the umpire should be able to call strikes and balls without having to sit down with the batter and explain it. <laughs> um, yeah, you do the, wonder what the baseball team is like at Alverno. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's an all women's school, so, so you know, I, I I I think that 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 ultimately the the argument for why grades should be there is. Um, is 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 in a, is in a high view of of the of the role of the teacher in the process as as a master of the craft whose judgment not should never be questioned but whose judgment should generally be trusted and if you're demanding this kind of articulation for every choice um uh yeah i i could i could not do my job if this was if that was the, the criterion for my job. Well, let me let me push back a little bit. I don't think that you have to give three pages of commentary for a quiz or something like that. It's just there's not a final grade in the semester, and so you're giving three pages of comments about the student's progress over the course of the semester. Okay, okay, okay. See, that's a little bit different. I was I was like, okay, what, what in in what context? You know, because. You know, I'm I'm grading a set of exams. When I grade that exams, I th- those exams, I'm not writing on each of these exams what what they lack or what they got wrong that leads them to get the 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 you know that would have led them to get the points that they missed. No, of course, and I mean, again, my guess is they probably don't have that kind of, kind of exam at all at a school that doesn't mm-hmm. have letter grades. Yeah. Okay. I. You know, to, to 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 me the gr- grades are grades are shorthand and I see it you know I see it as you know it's 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 what I'm doing when I'm being an umpire um, sometimes I'm being a coach and sometimes I'm being an umpire and sometimes I need the I need I need the practices that that make being an umpire efficient but but mm. but now said said contra <laughs> I knew I knew David would say uh, keep the letter grades, and I knew Nathan would say get rid of them. <laughs> We've been doing All this right. show too long. That that was not a hard one to predict. Yeah, here's why I'm interested in uh, you know the possibility of eliminating them because grades have been a sort have become a sort of currency, but mm. they're not a currency regulated by anything like a law. So. You get complaints about grade inflation, but the only solutions that people seem willing to offer are let's reduce the wages of the people in our plant in the vain hope that everyone else will simultaneously do the same thing. So honestly, I I relish the notion of getting rid of grades simply because it's become a sort of meaningless currency. Uh, And for that reason, you know, it's something that students will haggle over and they will judge their experience of my course based on what kind of grade appears on the transcript or on the exam, sometimes without regard for any actual learning that happened in the course. So, I mean, uh, if we can, you know, go back to the uh, baseball metaphor for a moment, um, you know, if we can turn college into uh, the practices 
and let the employers and the grad programs and so on and so forth be the games, I would be all for that. Uh, you know, now the one hang up that I would have is that, you know, because there are so many institutions that still pretend that that currency means something, I think it might put the students at the institutions without grades at a sort of disadvantage because they will not, uh, continue to compliment the emperor's clothes. But, uh, ultimately I think that, you know, that's a fascinating notion and yeah, I'd be willing to jump on with that if that were a possibility. As usual, I split the difference. I could certainly see getting rid of them in upper <laughs> level classes. But I think you gotta, you gotta mm-hmm. have a way to have, have people fail freshman classes, for example. Mm-hmm. You've got to wait, have a way to have people fail. Well, I mean, I, honestly, I can't remember the last person who failed a junior or senior class I was teaching. But, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. But people. Oh gosh. People, people <laughs> fail my people fail my freshman class every year, and people certainly fail my sophomore philosophy survey every year. So, mm-hmm. like, I I would say at that point, I'm I'm happy for the grades because it it is a way where they can see it coming and where I can justify it happening. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would be afraid. There's already something arbitrary about passing and failing. I would hate for it to become even more arbitrary. Mm. Oh, and see, I'd much rather have a paragraph saying, you know, the student, you know, showed up ten minutes late for class when she did show up for class. You know, seldom looked up from her phone and didn't show any evidence of engaging with anything that anyone else read. I like that better than F. All right. F is the language the students speak. You know what I mean? Well, I mean, I mean, I, I, but, but in this thought experiment, I mean, we're proposing a new language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I dig that. Well, it's 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 the difference between looking at the score of the game in the newspaper and then reading the column that explains, you know, that team didn't win, the other team lost, and here's why. Yeah, yeah. Um. And maybe we need both kinds of commentary and education, I think. Oh, and see, I could do without the one. I really could. All right. <laughs> well, before grading can happen, there needs to be a prompt. What are the challenges and joys of writing paper prompts? I should say I hate this stuff. Oh, really? <laughs> see, I, I really enjoy it simply because I get to think about what kinds of thinking I want my students to aim for. Uh, so when I write a prompt, you know, what I have in mind is, okay, what kinds of dispositions, habits of thought, modes of excellence am I aiming for on this thing? And how can I set up a sort of target so that my students can attempt to hit it? Um, and you know, based on the, you know, the kind of course that I'm, that I'm teaching based on the projected enrollment, based on whether it's upper division, lower division, I mean, this really is part of the course design process that I enjoy simply because I get to take a step back and think, okay, what exactly is this course supposed to do? Uh, and, you know, for instance, and this drives some of my colleagues in the English department at Emanuel nuts, and they all know this about me, and I, I know that they know that I know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, on a sophomore literature paper, uh, I'll be honest, I'm not all that concerned about whether they hit all of the marks on their MLA 7th edition or now 8th edition formatting. I'm more interested in the ways that they bring argumentative structure to bear on a literary text. So in other words, 
you know, the, the portion of my evaluation that's based on what I consider courtesy, uh, really isn't all that high. I mean, I'm more interested in their craftsmanship, not whether or not they fart at the dinner table. So, I mean, the, you know, the rest of, you know, I won't say the rest of my department, but there are certain members of my department that say, you know, by the time that they are taking a sophomore lit course, they should be able to format a works cited page properly because they've had three semesters of English and yada, yada, yada. And I say, okay, if you want to spend your time that way, that's fine. I'm more interested in can you walk your reader through a basically syllogistic argumentative structure demonstrating something about the text that's beyond the immediately obvious. That's what I want to grade. You keep grading your commas and your semicolons. You what are you part say? of the problem, Nathan. I really am. <laughs> nice. That's all I got to say about that, David. What do you got? <laughs> oh, right. Uh, I really, really love writing paper prompts. Um, I'm going to let you guys I, write my paper prompts from now on. <laughs> well, two, two, two reasons. Um, one, it's, uh, uh, I, I try to, I try to set, and, and this is pragmatic. I try to set it up in such a way that it's extraordinarily unlikely that they would find something like it on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that for me is not just pragmatic. It's also fun. It's like, it's like the me versus the internet. <laughs> anyway and and i you know i like to win if i can come up with a with with a way of 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 pitching this that students are, are very unlikely to 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 find something like it um i think that's fun uh also it, it gives me the power to um not real read a whole stack of papers about legalizing marijuana or lowering the drinking age or whatever um paying, I, I paying think, student athletes is the new one yeah 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 no, I, I, I think lower the drinking age is is one of those that i will always associate with uga <laughs> you know it's a it's an objective argument made without personal interest uh-huh exactly exactly and, and and it almost always involves you know very rigorous you know moral philosophical thinking Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I was always impressed with those. No, I'm never. Impressed I can join with the those. army when I'm 18. Why can't I have a beer? Yeah. I said, well, actually, if you join the army, you can have a beer. So go enlist and get out of my writing class. <laughs> nice. Um, <laughs> well, it, it's also fun for the reasons that you gave. Um, you know, it's offensive to me. I'm sorry, David. It's offensive to me, Nathan, that you would give your stupid student a southern accent. Oh, did I really just do that? You did, yeah. And I think you owe all of our Southern listeners a, a word of apology. <laughs> all right, I, I apologize. <laughs> I, I apologize for that microaggression. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So, um, yeah, I completely lost my train of thought. But, uh, but, but no, the the uh, the for me, the paper prompt is an invitation for a student to, you know, like you said, Nathan Tate. Um, you know, think a particular line of thoughts, um, take a particular kind of trip through the, you know, woods of ideas that we've been romping through and, um, they won't get off the trail unless I shove them. And for me, the paper prompt is, uh, the paper prompt is that shove that, mm-hmm. um, that, 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 that pushes them in, in directions of, 
in directions that I know there are cool things, right? Mm-hmm. I just hope they find them, and and that that for me is interesting. And see, it's interesting, David. I actually try to make mine so open ended uh, that they can pretty much go any direction they want to. But then I always have a meeting early in the process where I try to recommend to them a more complicated claim to stake. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, the, the work that you just described as part of the paper prompt, I, I kind of make that part of the scaffolding process rather than the prompt document. Well, I, I, I guess I've, I've just sort of developed from it through experience to try to do some of that more, uh, to give a more precise kind of job um, mm-hmm. as part of the paper prompt, because so many of my students just won't come and ask me. Um, right. Oh, I mandate it. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> Do you cancel and class I mean, I, for that, Nathan? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, because I and here's how I justify it because I did once have a vice president of academics who frowned on that practice and said you need to you know be sure that you have so many minutes of classroom time um, for every credit hour and I, I just told him I said you know when I've got 26 students in a room. I can't do the kind of teaching that I do when I've got three students in my office. So, I mean, I'm willing to trade one for the other, even if it means that my students have 50 fewer minutes on a 14-week 14 14 semester. Hmm. Well, I, I, don't know that I, could, I don't know that I could do that. <laughs> It'd be cool. <laughs> I, I did it. I did it this semester. I have a dramatic lit class that I'm doing all these experiments on and that's one of the things I did is I, I canceled mm-hmm. class for a couple of days and, and had mandatory I think half hour conferences to okay. to show me drafts of their paper and work through it and I, mm-hmm. I don't know I, I, I don't know that I don't know that the results were much better than they would have been otherwise I mean it was nice to know what was coming and I know that some individual students did substantially better than they would have. So maybe the results were mm-hmm. better. Then I also... Oh, see, I, yeah, okay, okay. And see, I always require that they turn in the initial draft as well as the graded draft so that I can, you know, say, look, you didn't change this, therefore your grade is lower. Mm-hmm. And, and then I, they also, instead of returning a sheet of comments, um, I, I made them set up another meeting with me where they read through, they hadn't had a chance to look at them before. They, they read through my marginal remarks and uh-huh. asked, me, asked me questions, and uh, that too, I'm not sure was as successful as I as I wanted it to be. I don't know. I'm I'm in lieu of a final exam. I'm asking them how how all these experiments went in their eyes. So I'm interested, okay. I'm interested to see what they think of it. But I I like mm-hmm. the idea of doing these conferences. I'm just not I'm not a hundred percent sure it it accomplishes or has accomplished this semester what I wanted it to. Okay. And see, I mean, my my high opinion of them is based largely on, you know, alumni testimonials, but I have gotten very good alumni testimonials about them. Well, we'll see what the uh, we'll see what the students say. Indeed. One of the debates that arises in educational circles from time to time is the argument between so-called holistic and rubric grading. Where do you guys stand on that issue? Do you use rubrics? How detailed are they? Well, I use uh, I use a rubric. Um, it's uh, it's a departmental um, it's a departmental rubric. It's part of a uh, and it, it was developed as part of a departmental assessment. Um, and 
I've I've continued to use it because um, I found it useful and it became um, it became habitual, and so you know so I've 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 I've, I've kept on. Um, the difference between holistic and uh, what you're calling holistic and rubric grading, I think, is uh, is is helpful. Um, holistic grading is um, when you have a kind of clear notion in your mind of what an A paper is and does, what a B paper is and does, what a C paper is and does, whatever whatever your ranking is. And you, the, uh, you the, the instructor, you look at the paper and you say, mm, this is doing A paper things. This is doing B paper things. And so, you give it, and so you give it that grade because you see that as a whole it is doing the sorts of things. It possesses the sorts of characteristics that that kind of paper would have. Um, for this, for holistic grading to work well, you kind of need to have explained to your students what an A paper is and does and so forth mm. <laughs> so, that, so that that grade has any kind of meaning. Um, you also need a, to be almost superhumanly unbiased, don't you think? Uh, y- yes, but rubrics don't take bias out either. No, no they true. do not. <laughs> no, that, that's true, but they, they do mitigate it. The, well, the, they the mitigate rubric it. Is the, is it. The, uh, the earthly government. Or they make it sneakier. <laughs> right. And I, and I would say they just put a curtain in front of the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> nice. Um, well, uh, a rubric, on the other hand, uh, will break down that, that previous kind of idea and, say, and ask, okay, what does an A paper do? An A paper does um, – an A paper's uh, – has qualities of these three, four, five, however many kinds. Sixteen. These, these are our categories. And – and an A paper will have these kinds of characteristics relative to that category. So grammar and mechanics, an A paper will have this level of correctness, etc. A B paper will have this level, a C paper will have this level. So all the rubrics I've ever seen look like grids, um, mm-hmm. where um, you essentially locate um, the ranking of uh, of a paper in relationship to a criteri- to a criterion um, often with some kind of description connected to that criterion um, ours uh, the rubric that we use is 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 like that um, while I say that I use that rubric I use a rubric like that um, I did not design a rubric like that uh, left to myself and being a an indolent person um, I would have never designed a rubric like that. <laughs> but since that already happened, I'm perfectly content using it. Um, you know, window into my slothful soul. Um, but but that is that is one of the that is one of the difficulties with 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 rubrics for me is uh, it takes time to think through all of that. Um, it also um, it also takes some norming because frankly, once I've applied that rubric, I want that paper that I would have given a B if I was grading holistically to still have one. Mm-hmm. And, and that for me is the, um, 
I, I guess maybe I'm exposing the way, Nathan, that you're saying that a rubric is actually a curtain <laughs> behind the which the withered hides, because I absolutely do look at a rubric and say, okay, I think this is an A paper, and how does this rubric help me tell them that it's an A paper? But your rubric, already- you can only push it so far. You're going to have a really hard time using a rubric to turn a C paper into an A paper, for example. You may be able you may be able to bump it up a little bit and depending on what your categories look like. But if you've got specific enough categories and you're serious about the language you've used to describe them, uh, at a certain point you're just not going to be able to push the paper up any further or down any further because mm-hmm. um, you know, the the opposite temptation also exists. Mhm. And see, that's interesting because I feel like every time I've used an analytic rubric, which is always the term I've heard to use the grid style, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have a mark in mind and then I just fiddle with the numbers till I hit it. <laughs> yeah, I don't do that. I mean, I, 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 I can't say I've never done that. And, and uh-huh. I, I can't even say that I think it's wrong to do that from time to time. But mm-hmm. the rubric I, I – and I designed a brand new one this, this semester that has 16 different canons, each of which has – five different oh, wow. levels and okay. it's almost impossible for me to predict given because there's so many there's so many variables it's almost impossible uh-huh. for, for me to predict what grade is going to come out of the other end of it yeah and see i just don't see that as a good i see that as you know i mean that's interesting to be sure i mean it, it adds a bit of unpredictability to the process but uh i'd rather be able to say this is a you know better than average paper, this is about what I'd expect, this really does exceed, this doesn't pass muster, uh, and just kind of be the practitioner here that's guiding the apprentice along. And now you sound like me claiming the right of umpire. <laughs> and I, I think I think the rubric accomplishes that. The rubric the rubric allows me to delineate exactly what is good and what is bad about the paper. It, it it shows clearly what areas need to be improved. And the more specific it is, the better. I, I made a more specific one because my old one, so for example, I used to have a canon called organization. And mm-hmm. like A-level organization says the paper and the paragraphs are all perfectly ordered, imminent design, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, what, yeah. what do you do if the paper organization's an A and the paragraph organization's a D? So what I did is anytime I could come into a corner, kind of conflict with that, I separated it into multiple canons, each one of mm. which then got their own five-point scale. And it's not even five points because that would mean that all the canons are equally weighted, which they are not. Right, so right. I'm looking at my rubric right now. Pa- paper organization is 5%, so five points, 4.3 points, 3.8 points, 3.3 points, 3.3 points zero points. Then paragraph organization is 4%, and that's 4, 3.4, 3, 2.6. <laughs> now, I will admit, I'm a sick person, and I, I mean, I very much enjoy that kind of hyper-organization. Um, and, and, this and is I, starting to sound like Dante's Hell. And I, I, I mean, I, I have it, I have it all, all the points written out so that I don't have to, I don't have to use one in Blackboard, because I would much prefer to grade on paper. Uh, and mm-hmm. now I can just kind of calculate it with a calculator instead of having to... I mean, you know, Blackboard will do it for you. You can make the sort of rubric I'm talking about in Blackboard. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah. I, I, I'm i not going to pretend that there are no problems with rubrics. I think, I think there's something artificial in grading in one, and sometimes 
sometimes a student's, for example, a student's argument is so good that maybe it should override some other problems that the rubric won't allow it to override. I, I recognize that. But mm-hmm. in terms of my own fears of my own biases, I, I like the rubric better because it keeps me honest. Right. And I think there's the difference. I just don't fear my biases. I, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> you know, I honestly, like I said, I view my task in grading as being a, you know, the practitioner dealing with the apprentice and using that as a mode of evaluating for the sake of teaching. Um, now, that said, I mean, there are folks in my department, and, you know, this this is a sign that I've been around my department for a while. You know, there's now only two professors who have seniority on me, and both of them use analytic grid-style rubrics. Uh, but I've been obnoxious enough in, in department meetings that basically – each of us gets to design her or his own rubric. Uh, so, I mean, I do use the, the UGA-style holistic rubric where, you know, uh, if all of these things are there, then I'll think about giving it a B. If all of these things are there, I'll think about going up to an A. But And I actually use that rubric from my freshman classes. Okay, fair enough. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't even remember who was on that crew. I was actually a graduate student when they designed that rubric. Uh, but for the life of me, I can't remember who any of the designers were. But, I mean, that one, the concept is so nice. And I think it it kind of takes a sidestep from the completely impressionistic holistic rubric without becoming a grid style, uh, simply because, I mean, it, it's got some phenomenological awareness, right? Uh, I mean, if I am looking at something and it doesn't even meet assignment parameters, I'm not really concerned about how well the transitions work. Well, yeah. uh, you know, but that's yeah. that's what I mean, though. I mean, it, it like I said, I mean, it's got that phenomenology going so that it actually, to a certain extent, matches the process of thinking through what is the quality of this document. And of course, I've I've modified it over the years and so on and so forth. But, uh, you know, for instance, I mean, one of the things I do is I take uh, editing and, you know, proofreading completely off of the A to F scale. And I've just got a box at the end of the rubric that says, you know, editing was done well, no change, you know, distracting editing, minus so many points, deficient editing, minus so many points, so on and so forth, to communicate to the students that good proofreading will never make a good essay, but it can sure as heck make a bad one. I will point out, grammar and mechanics is only 6% on my rubric. So, well, and that's that, that's my point. If it's bad enough, I want it to be more than six percent. I figure if it's bad enough, I have a number of style canons, and if it if it's that bad, it's seeping into the style anyway. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Pro, prose that is incredibly ungrammatical is going to be prose that is not beautiful, or articulate. Elegant. So yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I and I I do kind of I do kind of object to your. You've said this now several times that instead of using a rubric, you see it as an apprenticeship. Well, yeah, so do I. I, I leave I leave enormous numbers of comments. I spend a lot of time on every paper. It's just that when it comes time to assign the grade, the rubric mm-hmm. the rubric is the mode I use to determine that grade. It's not okay. like I use the rubric instead of walking alongside them. It, okay, that's fair it, enough. It's that's just fair a, enough. It's just a, a key to what I think good writing looks like. 
And again, somewhat an abstract one, and I, I understand not wanting to use rubrics, but I use one. And that's what a rubric. <laughs> yeah, 16 cannons. That's impressive. It's actually five pages printed with the descriptions. I, I just, oh I, just hand, I just hand them back a uh, sheet with numbers, and then they can look it up on the... On the rubric. By the way, any of our listeners who would like a copy of my rubric, I'd be happy to send it along. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the grading environment. I am always a little surprised when I hear that professors grade in coffee shops and so forth because I shut myself into my office and lock everybody out. How about you guys? Where do you grade? Do you play music? Do you grade on paper? Do you grade online? Do you reward yourself? I, I remember uh, grading was a lot more fun when I smoked cigarettes because then I could grade two papers and go smoke a cigarette. Now I don't have <laughs> anything to reward myself with. There How about you, go, you guys? There you go. Well, when I grade, uh, and David, I'll, I'll see if your experience matches up with mine. I'm pretty much grading around, uh, you know, at the end of the fall semester i'm grading around my kids you know dance and cheerleading and basketball at the end of the spring semester i'm grading around my kids you know baseball so what usually ends up happening is you know i just set my alarm for just some ungodly hour in the morning so de facto it's very quiet in the house because everyone else is sleeping um as far as you know what environment i prefer I haven't thought about that for so long that I I don't even think I could answer it. I mean, I pretty much grade when and where I can. Uh, my campus, honestly, is a place where people like to drop in to people's offices and chat. Uh, so, I mean, I wish I could get more done in my office, but I just don't. Um, you know, usually it is just those uh, wee hours of the morning in the quiet of the house, hoping that I can keep the cat off of my laptop long enough to get some work done. Um, and I mean, to, to address that part of it, uh, again, because when I grade, you know, the letter grade, I mean, is just, you know, pretty much, well, I mean, it, it, it's, it's the very tail end of the process. Most of what I do is writing up comments. So, I mean, I almost always do it electronically just because I can type about 90 words per minute. I can't write longhand anywhere near that fast. So, uh, you know, if I've got any substantial number of students at all in a semester, if I tried to do it all by hand, I'd, there's just no way I'd get it done on time. So, mm-hmm. uh, David, I mean, do, do you have grading preferences? I, I just outed myself as, as not really ever thinking about that. <laughs> um, I cannot grade papers anywhere near an Internet connection. Hmm. Uh, so So there's that. Um, it's one of the, it's one of the reasons why as, as, as soon as it was possible for me, um, I grade on paper and not, not using, um, turn it in or anything like that. I, I, I cannot, I can't grade on a computer. Everything else in everything else on the internet is more interesting than grading. Yeah. Way, <laughs> way more interesting. Way, way, way. And, um, so I grade on paper. Um, uh, sometimes, uh, I, I, have got, um, there, there's, there's a coffee shop around here that I'll go to. Um, but it's not like a crazy raucous place. It's actually, um, kind of a French, it, it's a French cafe. Um, and a lot of the folks who come there, who, who, who go there are, uh, are, are older folks. Um, many of them, many of whom, uh, I don't speak their language, and so their conversation is not distracting. 
Um, it's just it's just kind of a pleasant place where there's kind of a nice low level lull. Um, uh, Is the little guy playing the musette there, David? No, no, there's no there's no live music. Um, though, uh, what you talked about, Nathan, with 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 getting up in the wee hours, um, a lot of times that's 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 what ends up happening is I'll, I'll set a set an alarm for three in the morning or whatever yep. <laughs> and just go camp out in the living room and just churn, just churn them through. Um, I set myself timers or, or I get distracted. Um, uh, I, I set a timer for a specific amount of time and that's how long um that's how long i comment and uh if if that when that timer goes off i stop writing in depth comments and wow. and and skip straight to um a summation of what the whole essay is um man that is that, uh, that is advice i've been given but i do not have the willpower to do that um it's changed my life man um and it's actually turned out to be really, really useful because that's also data. If if it if if in ten minutes I'm only two pages through a paper because of the because of the comments that I'm seeing, I'm giving them so much stuff that if I kept at that rate working through the whole paper, I would crush their tiny soul with mm. um. W- you know, if if I can work through a paper, if I can work through a whole paper in ten minutes, that's usually a pretty good paper. Um, and I'm talking about freshman composition. I'm not talking about upper upper division. Um, I give them I give them full time and full commentary. But um, when when I'm grading, um, one of the things that I'm always leery of is identifying every shortcoming in a paper. Um, if you know, I, th- I think of I think of I think of grading as like emergency room triage. <laughs> if an essay is currently bleeding out in the floor, um, I don't care whether or not it's had a manicure. Right. You know, I'm not paying attention to you know the athlete's foot or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's okay. These are the three, four things that are going to keep your essay from bleeding out in the floor again. Next time, let's talk about what you're going to need to get a B. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and that, that's another thing that the timer does for me is that it, is that it, is that it prevents my, um, my tendency to just kind of pounce on everything. Um, it it, it 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 holds me back, and I've actually found that to be useful. Um, it gives them it gives them stuff to focus on instead of me just walking through their paper, swatting everything with a bat, and them having no idea <laughs> where to focus. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I grade on paper except for freshman comp. Freshman comp, I grade in Blackboard. I don't have time to to grade twenty five papers by hand. Um, my, my standards are lower there anyway. I use that holistic rubric that UGA 
gave us. Um, but my uh, my lit classes, I do I do by hand. I do in three different colors of ink, depending on what sort of thing I'm looking at. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Well, well, we are getting such a look into the soul of Michael Farmer this episode. <laughs> you really see you really see the degree to which I should have followed my father and become an engineer. Because <laughs> like uh, I I always want to engineer the heck out of it. Um. Yeah, and I I do not leave my office. I don't grade at home. I don't grade in coffee shops. Uh, I I grade on paper at my desk, and I you know I I pick a number I'm going to do every day, and I do them, and I don't go home until I do. Um, now I, I recognize that's a luxury I have because I don't have children. I, I get that if I had children, I wouldn't be able to do that. So don't take that as a criticism of you guys. Just oh, asserting, not by any means. Asserting my privilege as a non-breeder. <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 like, ah, oh, what what a dream that sounds like. <laughs> do you guys do you guys listen to music when you grade? Um, as long as it doesn't have words that I understand, I can do so. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, amen. Do you listen so, to like you know, do you like classical or do you like I like something a little teeth, you know? I mean, I, I sometimes jazz, sometimes symphonic. Uh, I can listen to a Wagner opera, but I can't listen to rock and roll because I can understand the words and I start cogni- or I, I guess cognizing the words that I hear rather than the ones I'm supposed to be reading. No, mm. but there's a there's an instrumental like math rock band I like called Don Caballero, and I like to listen to them when I grade. It's very aggressive, <laughs> but it's wordless. Nice. Okay, I find yeah. I find if I listen to too much classical, I get sleepy. I need I need something mm. that drives a little bit more. Okay, but I, I have an overall instrumental playlist that has jazz and classical and post rock and stuff like that. Stuff of yeah. course, you do. <laughs> Quit making fun of me. Uh, yeah, I, I don't have a I don't have a playlist, but I do have Pandora stations that are specifically built around how alert I am while I'm grading. Uh, um, and I can't do Pandora because of the commercials. You just well, gotta pay to five bucks a month. You cheap okay. SOB. No, I do not. <laughs> the commercial is when, if I happen to be in range of the internet, well, because I'm listening on Pandora, then I necessarily am. Um, because David the internet have a is there. No, I don't have a smartphone. Um, because the because necessarily the internet is there because I'm listening to Pandora. Um, the commercial is when I permit myself to check Facebook. Ah, okay, okay. And when the commercial is over, I have to go back to grading. Um, we all got to start it, smoking. I mean, that's the solution to the, the whole problem. <laughs> clearly, um, post rock is when I'm pretty alert, and and it's and it's calming and it's regular and it keeps me on task. Um, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm feeling low energy, then it's it's more EDM stuff um, because I need the break and the way the rhythm builds up again after the break. Um, that actually like recoup- recoups me and refocuses me. Hmm. Interesting. I'm not sure yeah. I would have picked you as an EDM person, David. Um. Well, yeah. As long as it's as long as it doesn't have lyrics or it doesn't have lyrics in my language, I'm okay. Mm-hmm. I know you. I know mm-hmm. you like uh, heavy metal. That's true. That's true. Though, though, I've had to do. I I, I can't grade to that anymore because the bands that I like, the metal bands that I like, I speak their language. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't, I can't have any, I can't have any words coming at me while I grade. No, no, I, yeah, I, I agree I'm, with that. I'm definitely that way too. No, a hundred percent. 
Well, I already said earlier that this semester I'm holding half-hour individual conferences with my lit students to talk about what went right or wrong in this paper. And as I said, I'm not really sure what I think about that. What do you guys do to, to get students to understand the high points and low points of their papers? Uh, every paper ends with a um, sort of an epistle that kind of sums up um, some of that explicitly. Uh, in the upper division classes, it's it's a little more free free form in terms of the note. In first year composition, um, it's actually outlined according to the according to the criteria that are on the rubric. So okay. that I'm actually writing at the end of the paper, I see this in connection to this criterion, this in connection to this criterion, and so forth. Um, it's intended to help them focus on which particular. Um, comments of mine in the paper previous, um, which of those things are the most important things? Because not a, you know, sometimes they're like, you mar did I lost 10 points because of this thing? And I'm like, no, you didn't lose 10 points because of this thing. You lose t you lost 10 points because of the three sentence fragments on your second page. If only you had some sort of very detailed rubric that would explain exactly <laughs> where all the points went. Yeah, but that, then they'd only be able to lose six points. Ain't nobody got time for that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Um, so, so yeah. That's what I, I write that stuff at the end of the paper. Um, I also, when I give papers back at the at the at the uh, in the class, when I do that, after I pass them out, I walk through the three, four, five things that I've seen that have been most pervasive in that in that paper set. Um, so that for the students who, who don't bother to internalize what's there, at least they have to sit there while I, while I say a lot of the most important stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, that's all you're going to get from some of them right there. So sit, to sit still while you, while you talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I may, may, well, anyway, so, so I mean, th those those are what I do. Um, if, if students want to talk to me about papers, I'm always available to do that. I tell them that, but I, I don't require them to do to do that. Um, just just because I I don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, ha ha what do I need to repent of, Nathan? <laughs> I don't know that you need to repent. I mean, I'll, I'll admit when I do my conferences, it's always in the middle of the process. I've never tried to do them at the end just because, uh, honestly, what I usually do is allow them to rewrite for a small nugget of extra credit if they want to, but they're not required to. Mm. Um, you know, and honestly, it's usually the students who got B pluses and A minuses that do that. The students who got Cs usually don't give enough of a toot to actually do the rewrites. Mm. Um, when I do conferences, and this is interesting, I, I, I don't do individual conferences as Michael was narrating but i always do conferences of three or four students at a time uh first of all just because i mean you know my writing classes will have 23 students my literature classes will have 26 or 27 i'd be meeting with them till february uh before i ever got to start the spring semester uh mm -hmm. if i met with them individually but the other benefit of that i think uh is that and again i've, I've had alumni tell me this either they're lying to me or it's actually doing some good uh, but they actually get to see what kinds of processes I go through when I'm critiquing a text that's not their own. So they don't have chips on the table for that one. 
So they kind of get to witness the critique process as a third-person observer uh, rather than the one being evaluated at the moment. Uh, and, you know, again, I've had students tell me that, you know, being privy to that process has gotten them to think a little bit more about writing for an audience that is thinking in a certain way. So, I mean, that's the way that I tend to do it that way. As far as the end of the semester, I mean, honestly, when it comes to those big enrollment sophomore literature classes, uh, I usually tell my students, you know, uh, I'm going to look through your paper, I'm going to hold it up next to the rubric, and I'm going to assign a grade to it. If you want written comments on it because you want to use my work to improve your projects in future endeavors, email me and I'll be glad to do that. Usually I get about a third of the class that actually wants that. The rest of them just want to be done with my class and move on with their sports management majors. Um, so... <laughs> You know, that I'm just saying we've got a lot of sports management and kinesiology majors at Emanuel. Um, Lots of teams need to be managed. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. The world needs more sport managers. Um, so, I mean, you know, that's, that's generally speaking the way that I go about that. I, I do most of my coaching not on the evaluation end but in the process. Hmm. I used to hand back uh, several pages of, of detailed comments in addition to my rubric along with all sorts of margin notes again i'm just not sure students read them i'm afraid they get it look at the grade and toss it in the trash cans Mm -hmm. my Mm -hmm. hope my hope is these conferences at the very least they have to pretend they're reading it for several minutes while they're sitting right in front of me Mm -hmm. um so i did want to tell one story about um about returning uh, papers. For a while there, I got to where I would draw pictures of myself yelling at the students on their papers if they were doing something <laughs> that they had done wrong many times before. Called uh, one student who repeatedly misspelled my name. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 and, and listeners, if you know how my name is spelled, you, you can understand just how often my name gets misspelled. More Gilmore. Yes, indeed. But there was there was one student who was who was usually a really good writer who for some reason turned in this completely incomprehensible paper, and I drew a picture of myself dead in a coffin and wrote, "Your writing killed me." <laughs> pretty pretty pleased with that. <laughs> Excellent. You know, one day when uh, when I'm murdered by an angry student for being too mean to them, those pictures I drew of myself are going to be worth something. There you go. So far, we've been mostly talking about grading papers, but I suspect we all assign at least some tests. How does creating and grading tests differ from creating and grading papers, and what value do tests have over papers, if any? Well, it's on the exam that I do what David seems to do on his papers, namely to point students at a particular task. Uh, And this, honestly, is where I kind of get my uh, kicks, if you will, because a lot of times I will especially for philosophy classes, literature classes, so on and so forth, I will make my books uh, open book exams uh, and sometimes even online open book exams. So, I mean, the challenge there is uh, what question can I write that no existing website is going to answer for them? Mm. Uh, And sometimes that works and sometimes that doesn't. You know, I have had students cheat on uh, online exams, which wasn't hard to catch because most, uh, you know, study help websites, you know, spark notes and whatnot have a certain prose style that no human being actually writes in. 
Uh, so it's a quick Google search. I detect it. I report it to academic integrity. I did have one student. I mean, th- this still sits with me to this day. This was a few years ago. Um, the uh, the exam question basically said, you know, uh, write a dialogue between uh, Achilles from Homer's Iliad and Roland from Song of Roland about what it is to be a good warrior. And uh, I had a student basically copy and paste one sentence at a time two websites that were summarizing the plot of these two poems. And, uh, I mean, the the product was just utter gibberish. I mean, it wasn't hard at all to catch. But, uh, you know, I, I reported him to academic integrity. He got a zero on the test. He, he ended up, you know, withdrawing from the class because that was the midterm exam. But I uh, he, he stuck around after class that day. And uh, I said, now... You copied off those websites, obviously. I mean, you know, don't ever do that again. And he said, well, you know, I visited him when I was studying, but no, I didn't copy him onto my exam. It's insane, isn't it? They, do you think they believe that? Well, it gets better, Michael. It really does. I said, well, I mean, in, in that case, you've learned something about yourself today. Uh, you know, you seem to have a uh, photographic memory, so uh, you need to watch that in the future. That's going to get you in trouble. So I figured, you know, I'd let him laugh at it and, you know, fess up to it. And he said, yes, sir, I'll be sure to be careful. <laughs> I had a student who had three three paragraphs straight from Wikipedia. Uh, uh-huh. And I said, well, you know, you, you copied these three paragraphs straight from Wikipedia. And she says, I don't, I'd never seen those before. I don't know how they got on there. Oh, man. No, I had one, though, uh, copied. Uh, this was for an essay, not for a, and I realize this isn't the question about plagiarism, but these are good stories. That's okay. I forgot to uh, ask a plagiarism question. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, I had I had one who did the uh, copy and paste from Wikipedia, but change every seventh or eighth word. Safe so sounds pretty good at catching that. Well, the, uh, the humor of it, and I mean, it really was a roar, but, uh, you know, it was a, a paper on spirituality for a capstone theology class. And, uh, you know, the paragraph read something like, uh, spirituality is the ordering of human life around immaterial and irrelevant realities. <laughs> I said, oh, how true, sir. How true. <laughs> I had a student, I had a student at UGA, a student I really, really liked. I mean, most of the time when you bust a plagiarist, it's very satisfying. But this one, this one just broke my heart because I really love this girl. But she, I, I tried to ignore it, but she just copied straight from Wikipedia and left the stupid hyperlinks in. Oh, lordy. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. dumb. You know? There's mm-hmm. a certain sort of contempt for me embedded in that. It's like yeah. smoking oh. gun, blood all over their shirt, like a letter that says, like, I hate you and I'm going to kill you, like lying next to the body. <laughs> a security camera. Can we all admit that it's really satisfying to catch a plagiarist? Yes. In in some cases, yeah. I mean, it never was at UGA because that involved trekking down to the academic integrity office and having those ignorant conferences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, every time I caught one, I'm like, boy, there goes an hour of my life that I'll never get back. You get to spend mm-hmm. an hour with a hippie explaining why you're both in the wrong. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that never happened I'll, I'll, to me. Although by the end of my UGA years, I was on a first name basis with the, uh, you know, one of the academic integrity officers, and uh, that there was one time that uh, a student actually, you know, I, I detected some prose that was by no means her prose, and I, you know, 
print it off the website, print it off the paper. I'm like, okay, I've done a hundred of these. This is a slam dunk. And uh, when it came time for her to explain her side after I explained mine, she said, well, uh, here's what happened. Uh, there's this guy in my high school. He's like the best writer in my school. And he writes my papers for me. So I never expected that he would plagiarize like this. <laughs> and amazing. I kid you not, this, this academic integrity officer who does this all day, every day for a job, her jaw was hanging open. <laughs> and when we dismissed the student with a zero on the paper, you know, she shut the door behind the student and said, Nathan, where do you get these people? <laughs> I, um, I, I had a similar case where I, I busted a, a student for plagiarism, and she said, well, my mom wrote it. And I said, oh. your, your mom did a piss-poor job. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said it, but it was like, like, what else do you say? That's so infuriating. It is. I have to tell this story. It is not my story. It was the story of a longtime adjunct at another place that that I worked. Um, uh, her her crowning story was a, a mother calling up, calling calling to complain about the grade that her child had gotten. Oh, I know where this and is saying, going. <laughs> yes, and then the mother says, uh, "My child could not possibly have gotten this grade." And uh, the adjuncts, uh, well, well, yeah, you know this. That that's the grade that the paper earned, and the mother says, "You don't understand. I am a high school English teacher." And uh, the adjunct said, "Well, you know, nonetheless, you know, this this, this is the grade the paper made." And then the the, the, the mom says, "You don't understand. I wrote that paper." <laughs> oh man, I, I mean, she should be she could be fired from her high school job for that, right? Mm hmm. Depends on where she is. That is a uh, King of the Hill episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Anyway, not none of my stories are quite that interesting. I did have one that was um uh that a student did not plagiarize from the internet. They plagiarized another student. Oh was, lordy. And it was a personal narrative essay. <laughs> I was like, you know, you guys must have so much in common. Because you both got run up a basketball goal by a pit bull. <laughs> and had exactly the same feelings about it. That pit bull's a menace. You guys you guys are like brothers from other mothers, y'all. <laughs> it was it was I, I was just privileged that they found each other in my class. Oh, and see I, I, I don't I've never had that happen, but I have had students <laughs> more than once, unfortunately, take, you know, a 250 300 word reading response discussion post and just flat copy and paste somebody else's post and hope i wouldn't notice like in the same set in the same thread on the same web page uh with date stamps and everything yeah, and then when i report them they're like no i didn't copy that i wrote that it's that's like, aggressive well how is it that the other person posted it 90 minutes before you did show me your time machine it's aggressive. That's all I'm saying. Like, like that is a that is an attack on you. Yeah, that, that that's a big old middle finger. It really is. Yeah, yeah, d- d- dear dear listeners, that is exactly how we feel it when we when we see this. That is how we internalize it. So let me tell you why I'm an evil genius. Um, sure. The first paper they do in freshman comp, they they mm-hmm. do at home, and then they bring it in and turn it in and. What I don't tell them is, 
the day they uh, turn it in, they have to write a reflection essay about what it was like writing that first paper, which I read only to see if they are capable of putting sentences together so that I know when they've bought their paper from uh, somebody else. Oh, impressive. Yeah. I was uh, I was really, really pleased with myself when I came up with that idea. And I've caught people. They, they, bought, they clearly bought the paper. Because uh-huh. paying somebody else to write the paper for you, safe assign won't find. Oh, that's you know. true. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, right. I, I've had students who have done that. And I mean, I, it's, it's usually late in the semester I discover it. So I don't have the hours to sink into doing a full-blown, you know, CSI investigation to prove it. But I, it always gnaws at me once final grades are in. <laughs> now, I did think I did have a football player once. I thought his girlfriend was doing his homework. So I started making him do in-class writing. Mm-hmm. And that was his pretty handwriting. Oh, <laughs> nice. So it's that nice that they're teaching well. penmanship. Yeah. <laughs> he was a good student, too. And I, and I felt really, really terrible. Well, the best is when you have a student who you suspect cheated, and it turns out they didn't, and they, they just improved. Oh. Like, that's a good feeling. Oh, see, I've never had that happen. <laughs> 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 it's like, that sounds so nice. I <laughs> no, unfortunately, I mean, you know, every time I've had the suspicion, either the student, you know, I catch them or I end the semester thinking, no, they just had someone write it for them and I couldn't conduct the investigation because I had, you know, four other classes to grade for. And you know, every time they see you in the hallway, they think, I got one over on Gilmore. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I wish we could kill him. What does Dr. Gilmore look like? <laughs> early modern wait uh, uh, so uh, I think we're out of time so uh, let's let's wrap this up before I yell a profanity I suspect uh, when they're in the thick of it most teachers hate grading about as much as most students hate doing classwork but I think we should assume there's something beneficial about it what virtues result from grading and from being graded Oof. Um, I actually uh, joked about this with a colleague. Uh, we were talking about grading, and I said, well, you know, the difference between Inferno and Purgatorio is the disposition of the soul, right? And then I realized that I'd spoken a truth that hurt me. Um <laughs> Yeah, so it, it really does depend a lot on whether there is a virtue that comes from grading really does depend on what what my attitude is when I go into it. Um, some some things that, that, that it's done is uh, it, it continually reminds me of the uh, the individuality of my students. Um, I, I don't conference with every single one of them. I know all their names cause I call roll, but, um, with, with the classes of the size that I teach, I get very, very little individual time with any of them in particular. Um, usually grading is the only, is the closest thing to one-on-one time that I have with each of my students. Hmm. And I mean, there are a lot of students that I do 
you know, I hang out with them, I talk with them, you know, some that, you know, I have kind of mentoring relationships with, stuff like that, but not all of them, not all of them. And, and, and so grading is continually reminding me that, okay, this person's there and they, and they work on things and you know, with the kinds of prompts that I assign in freshman uh, composition, especially, um, I'm continually reminded of their existence as human beings outside of the little 50 minute, three days a week sphere um, that defines them for me. And um, so grading is good for me. And in, in, in that regard, it forces me to pay attention to each of them. Um, it's also good for me for reasons that uh, I, I think um, both of you have explicated in different ways which is that grading forces me to pay attention to why I have a particular gut assessment of a particular kind of work. It makes me think about whether or not my gut is justified. Um, it, you know, depending on, regardless of how, of how much I draw back the curtain and, and let the, the student into, into that particular logic. Um, it, it nonetheless makes me confront, um, can confront my feeling and, 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 and give it a name and find out whether that name is just, um, I don't like his face or this is actually a bad paper. Uh, what else, what else can we, can we learn from grading Nathan? Well, I'm going to start with a parable. Um, I think it's great that Protestant churches in the summer provide five, five nights or five days in some cases, a free babysitting for the community. Um, <laughs> I think it's a useful fiction that we call it VBS and we pretend we're going to save the little booger's souls. Uh, in the same way, I think it's, it's extraordinarily helpful and extraordinarily good to write comments on student writing and to coach them through the process of thinking about writing for a reader, organizing them in you know some kind of logical form, so on and so forth. Uh, pretending that we are handing over some sort of imaginary currency called GPA is a useful fiction to make them pay attention to it. Uh, so, I mean, I'll, I'll be honest, I, um, I think that whatever virtue there is in grading, uh, it's, it's one that is entirely conventional. I don't see a whole lot inherently good about it, but I keep doing it because it's a useful way for, you know, me to get students to pay attention to the actual coaching that I do. I think it's the most unpleasant thing we do besides maybe committee work. <laughs> and thus, uh, thus makes us earn our salaries. You know, none of us yeah. are getting rich off teaching. But if you didn't have to, if you didn't have to grade, you didn't have to do committee work. Mm-hmm. All you do for a living is read and talk about it. It's pretty sweet, you know. Which, mm-hmm. which if 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 that was if that was all my job, my job would basically be doing this podcast. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And as for the students, I think it's a... And and actually, just for the record, I'm on some interesting committees. My complaint is usually I don't have enough time to do the work, not that I despise the work itself. No, and Uh, I like the committees I'm on, too. I I really think the grading is the worst part of the job. I'll agree with that. Um, And then um, for the students, it it forces them to do work they wouldn't otherwise do. You know, you you call it a Mm -hmm. carrot. It's really more of a stick. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. And then you feed the carrot to the pinata to return to that weird metaphor. I don't know. <laughs> but um, it, 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 it and, and then you braid the grade so that it forms a certain kind of rope. 
So then it pushes it pushes them into the practice of of working hard and thinking deep and all those other things that human beings are not naturally inclined to do. It gives them an artificial mm-hmm. reason to do it, and hopefully mm-hmm. by the end of it, they still want to do it even after the artificial reason is removed. Hmm. I don't disagree with that. Well, listeners, I hope our discussion of grading has not been too boring for you non-academics or too infuriating for you academics and students. If we're leaving something out, if you think we're just monstrous, please send us an email at uh, thechristianhumanist at gmail.com. Next week's our last episode of the season, and it's um, it's our annual Christmas episode. David, what are we talking about? Well, we have been all over the place in Christmas episodes before, but one place that we've never been is Handel's Messiah. So that's what we'll be talking about next time. Sounds good. Until then, you can um, you can email us, as I said, at thechristianhumanist at gmail.com. You can go to our Facebook page. Uh, you can go to our website, which is christianhumanist.org. The Christian Humanist Podcast is a production of the Christian Humanist Radio Network. Our press liaison is Kristen Philippic. Our intern is Amberly Copeland. For David Grubbs and Nathan Gilmore, this is Michael Farmer saying, let your sins be strong and let your faith be stronger. <laughs>